For my ally is the Force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings so we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Don't know the power of the dark side. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. I got a bad feeling about this. Welcome to episode 276 of Blue Harvest. I'm your host, Halls Burkhart. And unfortunately, young Will Witten is uh, missing in action once again this week. He has been going on 10 days without internet at his new house because they can't get their shit together and get my dude set up with some internet. So it's completely out of his hands and he assures me and all of you guys that he's doing his best to get it handled and he will be back ASAP. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what he's thought about these last two episodes and we will hopefully do that next week when uh, if he's able to come back. But it's not just me, thank goodness. No, sir, we have <laughs> an excellent guest for you guys. If you have ever, I don't know, looked at your podcast listening device of choice and thought oh damn blue harvest has got some pretty kick-ass artwork well that's because of our guest here today he is a artistic magician the kind of man who i can give a stupid idea and he reaches <laughs> into the ether and materializes it cooler than i could have ever imagined it's our buddy evan DeCellis. hey Huss, how are you man i'm good buddy good it's been a while since i've been on I'm happy to be back talking yeah. about the Mandalorian. I think the last time was for Mandalorian last season. Yeah, I think so. I actually forget which episode I I had last year. Now that I think about it, yeah, I can't remember either. I remember that we started off and Will wasn't with us at the the start, and then was able to yes. join a few minutes in. So. Yeah. Uh, clearly, this time of year is a busy one for my dude, Will. <clears throat> so, um, we have a really cool episode of The Mandalorian to talk about this week. They're really kicking ass. Um, yeah, you know, I actually felt like this was the most Star Wars-y of all the ones that they've had so far, which like really says something, considering what we've gotten like last season. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, There, this one is... It's pretty damn great. Yeah. Uh, I 
I just love this show so damn much. Mm-hmm. They're they're hitting all the right notes for me specifically, and yeah. uh, it's just <clears throat> sometimes I sit back and can't even believe it's real. Like the cool shit I'm getting to see in the first Star Wars live action show. So yeah, I, I couldn't really be much happier. Yeah, it's really setting the bar high for anything that follows. Like it's kind of crazy to think that as big of a following as like Obi-Wan already has as an established character, it's kind of a daunting task to live up to something as new as like the Mandalorian, like Din Djarin. You know what I mean? Just like based on the way that they've just told the story and I'm sure we'll get into more of that later, but the way that they tie in some of the elements from the last season that you thought were like throwaway moments, for yeah. example. You know, and pretty then, special. And then, you know, we got the man or we've got uh, you know, at least one more season of the Mandalorian coming. Obi-Wan mm-hmm. and Cassian, which a small aside, uh Diego Luna actually announced this week that he is in London to begin filming Cassian. Oh, so, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm glad to see that one <clears throat> getting off the ground because I feel like that and Obi-Wan haven't had the smoothest uh trip mm-hmm. to production, so Hopefully all that has been, you know, sort of ironed out and uh, those will go well. I'm excited for both of them. But uh, I am, too. I was kind of worried that we didn't hear from, you know, the Castian Joe for a little bit. And I was worried because the hype wasn't as big for that one as it was for Obi-Wan, that it could be a casualty of, you know, production woes or cancellations. But it's nice to hear that Diego Luna's, uh, you know, excited about the project and, and filming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I felt kind of the same way. It seemed like. You know, the Cassian show was announced, and then, what was it, just before Celebration last year, they had that sort of announcement that Alan Tudyk would be coming back as K2SO, and then after Mm -hmm. that, not a lot. You know, there was the occasional thing about showrunners and directors and writers and stuff, but not a whole lot of information. And then, unfortunately, with the shit show that has been this year, it seemed like mm-hmm. they were really close to getting started and had to pause everything because of yeah. the pandemic. <clears throat> and it's nice to see, because I'll, I'll be honest with you, there was this worry in the back of my head that it could be a, a pandemic casualty. Yes, you know? 100%. So I'm really glad that it's not, and I'm looking forward to it. And uh, at this point, with as well as the Mandalorian has gone over like I'm I'm pretty much excited for any live action Star Wars TV mm-hmm. that they want to give me. Oh yeah, me too, man. So, um another big thing that's happened this week is the launch of the next generation of consoles. Something I know uh Evan and I are both pretty excited about. Mhm. So, yeah, finally the PlayStation and Xbox launched. Yeah, um I can't speak to the PlayStation. The only one I have real experience with is the Xbox right now. Uh, but you got your PlayStation in yesterday and have had some uh, time with it. What do you think of it so far? So far, I love it. Um, I'm like a pretty big PlayStation guy and not uh, like only PlayStation, obviously. Like I'd, I would play an Xbox game here and there and everything, but I've been mostly PlayStation um, since I've been into gaming and everything. And I think by and large the best PlayStation console I think I've ever played on. And I think I'm probably about like seven hours into playing on it. Um, but it's pretty incredible. The dual sense is probably the best controller I have ever felt. 
The I, system is super super fast. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it seems really cool. The controller. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's been my one takeaway with the amount of time I've had to mess with my Xbox, which hasn't been a ton because, you know, it came out in the middle of the week. I have gotten mm-hmm. some time here and there, but man, the the quick loading times that they've been flaunting over the last year or so, like, it's legit. It's yeah. it's pretty incredible. Um, my only worry, <coughs> I would say, and this goes for both systems, I imagine, is the limited amount of uh, internal storage. Mm-hmm. And granted, the Xbox has that uh, storage expansion you can get, but it's kind of pricey. And it only adds an extra terabyte of space. And from what I understand right now, you can't even really expand the PlayStation's uh, storage yet. That will come in like a firmware upgrade uh, a little while from now. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's been really interesting. Um, because I've heard that they sort of are excelling in the fact that it doesn't have to be a first-party expansion. However... As of right now, it doesn't support anything, whereas like the Xbox already has, you know, expansion options from day one, but it has to be specifically from Microsoft, from what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little weird. So you can use any um, external hard drive on the Xbox, but you can't play um, the new games from it. You can only play those from the internal solid state storage, Mm -hmm. which, you know, the the expansion card they have is equal to that um now with the playstation that you from what i understand you're correct you will be able to uh expand the storage with you know third party um ssd sticks or something but Mm -hmm. it'll they'll just have to be the same specs as the one that's built into the system but you just can't do it yet which isn't a huge deal you know we're we're just in the first week of the system yeah. being out. So hopefully there's not going to be a ton of people that are like, I'm out of space. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully by the time people do start reaching that point, they'll have <clears throat> that update out and people will be able to, uh, you know, upgrade their storage uh, and and stuff like that. But the, so far with the Xbox, that has been the only drawback I've seen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the thing is fucking lightning quick. I'm not used to it. Like, being primarily a console gamer and even my gaming PC that I have doesn't have a solid state drive in it. So this is yeah brand new territory territory for me. I'm not used to things loading that quickly. Yeah. I'm in the same boat on that. So for context, I've been playing a lot of Spider-Man miles Morales and obviously I'm not going to throw any spoilers for, for you or anybody listening, but uh, so I've been utilizing the fast travel in there every so often to just go like get to closer to collectibles and everything. And it kind of feels like I'm cheating myself out of the game because it, it happens so quick. You know what I mean? Like I click a button and I'm all the way across the city already and just kind of feels wrong. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. yeah it's just in, so bad. in the, uh, the last Spider-Man game, the one that came out a couple of years ago, right? You could mm-hmm. fast travel and it had the neat little like cut scenes of Spider-Man on the subway and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And that's so I've been playing the game I've been primarily playing on my Xbox is the new Yakuza. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed about these quick ass loading times is you know normally when you would travel or load in somewhere you would um get like a tool like a uh 
not a tool tip, but like a, you know, like a little, it'll be like, oh, you should stop by a restaurant and eat some food. It'll give you yeah. such and such bonuses. Those things are still in the game, but they pop up and disappear so quickly because it loads oh, so fast no. that you can't read them. I mean, it's not the biggest deal, but that's one of those things that, you know, as these, as gaming like progresses, I don't think will be a thing anymore. And I yeah, think, which is kind of a shame. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think we'll, <clears throat> we'll see developers finding new ways to convey the same information without relying yeah. on those loading screens. Yeah, and it's kind of a shame for some games and for some it's not. Like one that comes to mind recently is Ghost of Tsushima where, yes. you know, you had a couple of those tips on that screen or more so in a legacy game like a Skyrim where you have like those 3D models that you can like zoom in and pan and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a little bit of a loss there. But at the same time, for most games, it's probably like a really welcome, welcome change. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to complain about not having to sit there and wait while stuff loads like. I got yes, limited yeah. time to play as it is, so whatever can uh, eke out a few extra minutes for me to play, I'm all about it. Yeah, especially <laughs> with games like uh, Jedi Fallen Order, for example. Those load screens can be kind of brutal. Yeah, dude. I mean, and it, you know, it's it's a byproduct of being seven years into that current generation, you know, PS4 and Xbox mm -hmm. One, is that uh, as the generation goes on, the the games become more intensive and then the loading times become even longer. So, yeah, exactly. Well, um, uh, I guess we should actually talk about some star Wars, some, some yeah, Mandalorian. So we're talking about chapter 11, the heiress this week. And I got to say, buddy, mm -hmm. uh, wow. It was great. Speaking of the name, this is the second <laughs> time this season where the title card has come up and I immediately knew what it was referencing, you know? Yep. With episode one, when it said the Marshall, I was like, oh, that's Cobb Vanth. When it says the yep. heiress this uh, episode, I was like, Bo-Katan. Yep, so <laughs> and, fitting. And throughout the day, I've been kind of wrestling slash pondering with this idea of like, I kind of, in one on one hand, I didn't mind all of the rumors and stuff of all the people that would be appearing this season. But on mm -hmm. the other hand, man, I can't imagine the surprise I would have felt when oh Bo-Katan drops out of the sky to rescue the Mando. And she's got her armor from the Clone Wars and it looks all badass mm -hmm. and stuff. So, you know, that's one of those <clears throat> interesting situations we found ourselves in this season specifically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have the unfortunate nature of typically watching The Mandalorian through subtitles, and I found that to be a mistake specifically with this episode because for her dialogue, prior to her taking off the mask, they already classify her in the subtitles as Bo-Katan. Right. And I was like, oh, no. I mean, I kind of I kind of knew, like you said, because of the, the rumors and everything, but that, I guess, cemented it for me, which is not the worst thing in the world, but like you said, it would have been really, really nice just to sort of have it hit you hard. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I'll tell you um, mm -hmm. that was handy about the subtitles, because after I watched the episode last night, I recorded like an instant reaction for the blue harvest Patreon. Like I've been doing the mm -hmm. past couple weeks and I didn't know the name of the other two Mandos that are with Bo-Katan. And I said something on the Patreon, like if any of you guys know what their names are, hit me up. Cause I'd like to know. 
And mm-hmm. I got so many responses from people being like, watch it with subtitles. It tells you. Like, my buddy Blake hit me up. My buddy Johnny hit me up. Rick hit me up. Like, so many people, Justin hit me up and were like, oh, this is what it is. So, for anybody that was wanting to know, Sasha Banks's character is Casca Reeves. And then the guy, Mandalorian, is Axe Woves. And interestingly enough, the actor who portrayed Axe Woves said that that name was uh, a George Lucas con- uh, creation from when he visited the huh. set. He named that character. Oh, that's pretty incredible. So he was there for that episode then, huh? I guess so, huh? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. Uh, wow. You got to wonder what Uncle George was thinking, being on set for that episode specifically, seeing characters he helped create for the Clone Wars mm-hmm. showing up in live action. I bet you he thought that was yeah. pretty neat. Oh, for sure. And especially because that, that transfer for for Katie Sackhoff and, and Bo-Katan was, was done so well. You know what I mean? Like, I think that even if they didn't say her name in the subtitles or you didn't know she was coming, the second that helmet came off, I think like as a viewer of the Clone Wars watching that, you probably would have known instantly, which is pretty incredible considering that animation style is just so exaggerated and so stylistic, yet it transferred like incredibly clear with this character. Yeah, and she fucking nailed it, dude. Like She did. As uh, <clears throat> Jesse and I were watching it right before you and I started recording, just the whole time, Jesse's like, yeah, she's cool. She's pretty mm-hmm. badass. I could uh, quickly feel the brewings of maybe a new favorite character for Jesse coming on. Yeah, um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was, it was real cool. And, you know, <clears throat> I've heard a lot of people say, and, and it was even a concern of mine, going into this season with all these rumors, right? So-and-so is going to show up. So this person, that person of like, does the show need it? Like, how are they going to pull this off? And thankfully for me, at least so far, they've pulled it off extremely well where every time they've introduced, you know, one of these characters, be it Cobb Vanth, Boba Fett, um, Bo-Katan, it's fit with the story incredibly well. It doesn't feel like yes. just a needless excuse to include a fan favorite or a pre-established mm-hmm. character. Yeah, I agree. I, I typically, whenever I look at characters like this, who they do those cameos, I have a sliding scale that goes from, you know, totally unnecessary to super necessary. And it goes from Dr. Evazan and Ponda Baba right. to Sagarera, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting that like, both of those were in the same movie. Saw, Guerrero, yeah. fucking awesome. Well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazan, n- no yeah. need for that. And, you know, I'm, I've am i always been of the mind since Solo came out that it's cool, on one hand, that Darth Maul was at the end because it made the animated stuff and the live-action stuff feel like it took place in the same universe. Yes, we've 100%. always we've always known it has, but that like affirmation that like yes, this is all connected. It all takes place in the same world, the same universe was nice. But on the other hand, it was also kind of needless. And especially when you yeah. hear that they had a huge list of people that it could possibly be in that in scene, and you know it just you know it didn't feel as well thought out as something like this, like Bo-Katan showing. Yes. Yeah. Cause, cause whenever they said that list and I, I pictured them swapping out in my head and I'm like, 
I could see them there. I could see them there. And if that's the case, it's not probably really well done, but sort of like we were saying earlier about tying into the previous season, even though we saw the dark saber and that's not a subtle thing, that's, I mean, that's the reason why she's around, right? I mean, like right. that's why we're seeing her on screen. Yeah. And, and so. like, that's the thing so far with varying degrees of success, I'm sure you could argue like all of these appearances have been pre-set up and have been led into. It's not, you know, I guess I'm just sort of talking myself in a circle, but it makes 100% sense that Bo-Katan would show up when the Darksaber is in play because she's mm-hmm. who we saw with it last. She is the heir to Mandalore. Her sister is Duchess Satine. <clears throat> so if we were ever going, if the scope of this show was ever going to be bigger than just, you know, a Mandalorian bounty hunter, if we were really going to get into like Mandalorian culture and history mm-hmm. and things like that, then it, it makes total sense. And, sh- you know, I think you could argue should happen. Bo-Katan should yeah. show up at some point. Um, so it's just nice to see them pull it off. I agree. I also like how they used her in the sense of giving a little bit of backstory to like Mando's creed, essentially, right? Of basically saying like you are part of a group of over-religious zealots and you don't even know it, essentially, you know? And like how taking off the mask to him being this absurd thing to her, it's like, what are you doing? Like you're an extremist, essentially. Yeah, you know? it, it, it was super nice to finally get that answer. Like something we've mm-hmm. been talking about for over a year now is like, why can't the Mando and all his buddies take off their helmet? But anytime we see a Mandalorian in the clone wars or rebels, like they take that shit off all the time. Yeah. Yep. And I'll tell you what I really liked about. It's just a simple answer. Like it's not too complicated. He's part, he's a child of the quote unquote watch of the watch, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is death watch. Right. Yeah. Um, And they're religious zealots. This is all, Stuff that has been pre-established in the Clone Wars. Um, And like, because it would be real easy to just, you know, have the story going the way it is. Where the Mando doesn't take off his mask. His buddies don't take off his mask. And we never get an answer to that. It shows up in a visual dictionary or an art book. You know, it's a little blurb somewhere in one of those things. Um, And for them to actually, you know. It kind of seems pre-planned out. In fact, I I would say pretty confidently that it has been pre-planned out and pre-mapped out. So that's nice. I like to see that in Star Wars because we don't always get that. I love the sequel trilogy, but it's clear that it was kind of a like, uh, let's see what happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Let's figure it out as it goes kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be remiss not to mention to you, Haas, that... Is that officially the man in black in Star Wars? It is, man. A nice oh. fucking lost crossover. This is um well, I guess uh, there's probably more that I'm I'm forgetting, but in yeah. recent years we've gotten um Ken Loon from Lost. He played Miles. He was yeah. uh Admiral Satura, I believe is the character's name, and the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Dominic Monaghan in The Rise of Skywalker. And now we have the man in black as an Imperial officer. And uh, talk about perfect casting for that actor. Yeah. 
Oh, totally. I feel like all those Imperial officers have to have a prerequisite of you need to like have a smug look on your face just naturally, mm-hmm. you know, and he and he nails that, of course. And he did a really good job in this episode. And I thought it was really cool how they incorporated that sort of cliche spy bite the poison pill moment before giving up any knowledge. Yeah, but they <laughs> they took it and made it fucking sci fi and cool where it's not like a poison. Yeah. It's like a it shocks him to death. It's like a electrical mm-hmm. surge. Really cool concept, you know? Like you said, it's, yeah, I it's, love that. it's taking something that we know from from other fiction and then giving it a nice little Star Wars twist. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff I would be, uh, that I'm looking forward to seeing in Cassian. If Cassian really is sort of like a spy thriller set in Star Wars, then you could see how they take a lot of those Mm-hmm. <clears throat> ideas and concepts and flip them around and that, that's pretty exciting yeah for sure so um, <laughs> i was gonna say we've we've kind of hit some some of the bigger points but what are your feelings overall in this episode of this episode rather i really liked it because i felt like it was sort of a full episode where you sort of got multiple arcs within one single episode like i don't necessarily mind the stories where you know you follow the main character from a to b and that's that's the story right but i felt like there was like a lot of like smaller arcs within this episode obviously like the frog people for example how they sort of touched on that um you know the imperial side of everything and and the mandalorian side but i thought to me this was probably one of my favorite episodes of the series and not because you know oh you know bo katan's there and there's this character that i'm familiar with i just felt like if somebody wanted to know what star wars was about i might show them this episode in a sense and less of like an actual star wars movie because this kind of felt like all of it concentrated down into 35 minutes if that makes sense yeah it's like pure star wars concentrate you know what i mean yeah you get a little jedi mention and it's like ooh, mystical jedi warriors you know Mm -hmm. like rumors and like and then you get fucking badass people in armor whipping stormtroopers' asses. And yeah. you get a lot of kick-ass aliens. Like, I've said it the last two weeks. I'm going to say it again. They've been fucking nailing the F- the aliens this season. Yeah. Like, the Quarrens looked incredible. The Mon Cows looked incredible. Like, it's it's so cool. Like... Yeah, the Corins were incredibly detailed, every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it wasn't even, like, if you look closely, it's not just a prosthetic. It's not just practical. It's a mix of practical and CG because their face tentacles move and stuff, mm-hmm. and they're really well animated. They they had a, a little bit of a Davy Jones from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies yeah, vibe to them. Yeah, I can them. see that. <clears throat> um. And then just a hell of a lot of Mandalorians jetpacking around this episode, which is oh yeah, an easy way to make me stoked. You know, I was wondering your thoughts on this. Uh, I was worried whenever I, I was watching the episode and I saw, you know, Bo-Katan when she was threatening that Imperial officer saying, you know, about the Darksaber and where is it? And does he have it? I'm worried that they might bring her back in a villain sense if she finds out the only way to get Moff Gideon like in a room is baby Yoda Ooh. and she offers some sort of potential trade, right? Of I have the child, you have the saber. Let's just do this kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I hope that's not what they do because I just don't, I don't, 
that seems out of character for that character, you know? I agree. And yeah. like, even at the end when she's like trying to get him to go along with us, like it's, she's being real cool. Like, even though mm -hmm. this guy is not the kind of Mandalorian that she is, you know, like she, he's, he consider she considers him a religious zealot, but <clears throat> you know, uh, she says like your bravery, uh, it will, is, is much appreciated or whatever it is she yeah. says to him. So like, I hope that's not the case. Um, I do think that it's clearly leading up to a moment eventually where we do see Mandalore and see what's going on. And they even yeah. <clears throat> drop that line where he's like, you know, once the empire, uh, discovered that they couldn't hold Mandalore, they made it so nobody else could either. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what the hell that means. Yeah. And how he said it was cursed that basically once you go there, like you die there mm -hmm. essentially. So I don't know, you know, I doubt it's this season. There's, there's so much like the show has grown so much where in the first season it was very, I feel like narrowly focused, not in a bad way, but like laser mm -hmm. focused. And it seems as each episode of this season goes on the scope of potential storytelling just widens and gets bigger and bigger and yeah. the possibilities. So you like, you know, we have the whole baby Yoda thing. We have the whole empire thing with Moff Gideon. Now we have <clears throat> Bo-Katan wanting to get the dark saber back and take the throne of Mandalore. Like there's some real yeah. cool stuff on the horizon that you have to imagine that they're going to explore. And it, it, it has grown so much more than the initial premise of a Mandalorian bounty hunter, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, and that's sort of what I wonder where they're headed with it, because whenever they mention, obviously, in the episode, you know, you go here, you'll see Ahsoka Tano. This is how you're going to do the handoff with the child, obviously. What do you think is going to happen with that handoff that could result in, like, him still keeping the child, right? Because I can't imagine that in episode four, or five, if maybe there's a, an intermittent episode mm -hmm. leading up to it. Like, what do you think that interaction could possibly have that would have him still walk away with, with the child, you know? See, okay. So I've, I've been kind of wondering that too. Because I just, I don't feel like, I feel like baby Yoda is along for the ride until the end of this series, right? Yeah, me too. I could be wrong, but he's so popular and he's such a, a big part of the show that I don't see him dropping baby Yoda off this season or even next season and then being like, all right, well, I've got other adventures to go on, right? Mm -hmm. So my guess is one of two things. The first one will be that he, he finds Ahsoka and she's like, I can't take him. I'm not a Jedi anymore. Mm -hmm. She doesn't consider herself to be a Jedi anymore. She left the Jedi Order. And I know that's kind of a technicality. She's a Jedi in everything but name, right? She uses force powers. She's badass. She's got a lightsaber. Exactly. But I could see them using that to, you know, as a, a device to keep her from taking Baby Yoda on. The other thing is, I'm still not convinced that this is after her adventure with Sabine looking for Ezra. So it could be that she's like, hey, uh, I've got something I have to take care of. I can't take him. You know what I mean? Like, That's a good point. And, you know, with all the talks of a live action Ahsoka series coming and whatnot, I kind of feel like that might be 
what they do. And maybe she says like, look, uh, there's other Jedi out there. And, yeah. you know, I, it might sound crazy. I just don't think Luke Skywalker is off the table at this point. After, oh my God. That'd be incredible. After everything they've done so far, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you told me after I watched episode one of the Mandalorian last year, uh, if you told me, hey, next year you're going to see Bo-Katan and Ahsoka's going to show up and et cetera, et cetera, I would have never believed it. But now here we are and all this crazy shit's happening. I don't think you can discount the idea of Luke and his, you know, yeah. Jedi being some part of this story. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, too, obviously we wouldn't know would they do like an actual actor Would they do CGI. But if they went the CGI route, I felt his CGI work in the rise of Skywalker was actually the strength of that flashback scene. In my opinion. Yeah. Like, his... I thought they nailed that really well. Yeah. And you know, I, it is, and that's the tough part, right? Is if they want to bring yeah. Luke in, I don't think he becomes a main character, you know, I, th I think they would probably avoid that. But if they do, do they recast? Do they do, like you said, some sort of CGI work? Is it a vocal cameo? Like, there's there's options, and it's just... While I say he's not off the table, I just don't know how they do it. You know, I think it's yeah. a possibility. I just don't know how they pull it off at this point. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And to go back to what you were saying a little bit earlier, I do... Everybody listening, don't get your hopes up for Ahsoka next episode. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think there's a bump in the road because think how many times has the Mando gone to do something and just gone from point A to point B without any sort of headache in between, you know, <clears throat> like, yeah, also, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I would say also adding to the fact that we still need to see Grief Karga and Kara Dune in this season, you mm -hmm. know, so that's that could be, you know, the next episode that could be something that happens, you know, anytime really before Ahsoka. Yeah, you know, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the next episode ends with Ahsoka showing up. If that's Ooh. our stinger at the end of episode four leading into episode five. But I, I just wouldn't count on the whole episode being Ahsoka-focused next uh, week. And, you know, I think a lot of people have been talking about this, and I think it's, it's strong evidence to support this, is that Dave Filoni is directing episode five this season yeah and you gotta imagine that if they're bringing ahsoka in he's gonna want to have you know something to say something to do with mm -hmm. that so yeah I, I think you know honestly watching the episode again my thought was <clears throat> when they're leaving they send an imperial distress distress call and i kind of wonder if that imperial distress call is what uh keeps Din Djarin from being able to just go straight to the planet where Ahsoka is. Yeah. You know what I would actually like, and this is sort of like in typical, you know, Saturday morning, you know, TV fashion is that next episode. And I, they probably won't do this just based on what they've done so far, but that next episode being like a totally focused Moff Gideon 35 minutes where, you know, he kicks open the TIE fighter door with his dark saber. We find out oh. what he does, what he's up to his backstory and then it ends with him getting that signal, and then that's when you roll into, you know, episode five, essentially. Dude, that is 
the lost that's the lost formula right there a flashback episode i dude i don't know that that's what they would do but man would i be on board and would it be cool as hell if they did i love that idea yeah that would be the best something tells me they won't just because if you technically cut out the credits for each episode the, the, the show never stops. Like, there's no gaps, right? Like, right. he flies off, and then he flies in. Mm-hmm. So, it probably won't, but that would be kind of cool. Yeah. <clears throat> and I I also have to imagine that I don't know if it'll be in flashback form or if it will be just through dialogue, but we will figure out how he got his hands on that Darksaber and in yeah. whatever encounters he's had with Bo-Katan in the past. I'd love to see it in flashback form, but they're going to explore that and they're going to explain that to mm-hmm. us at some point. Yeah. I also uh, like it's It was super small, but I love how they tied in the, the Calamari flan in this episode. Yeah. From, <laughs> yeah. That, the initial first season. I love that sound that that damn currency makes oh. when it gets knocked on the table. Like, I'm telling you, Haas, if Sideshow came out with that, I would be on that day one. Oh, you know what? I need to ask a couple of uh, a couple of like prop buddies, like costuming buddies, if anybody's made kick-ass calamari flan replicas yet. Yeah. Oh, I just I want to feel it. I know what it feels like. You know what I'm saying? It yeah. feels like um, like a gummy, like a gummy candy. Yes. Or like whenever uh, back whenever they used to do like creepy crawlers, whenever sort of you would make your own yes. like mold, just like way too much squeeze, but like you still wanted to make it anyway. Yeah, I, exactly. Creepy crawlers is, I think that is the perfect analogy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of. I mean, we've kind of hit the big stuff. I mean, I'm trying to think. There's got to be something I'm overlooking here. The excite- we did have. The, um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say the excitement of Bo-Katan and all the Mando stuff was is is so in the front of my brain right now that it's hard for mm-hmm. me to think about something else. What, what were you going to bring up? I was going to say that it was kind of cool how they gave a, a subtle arc conclusion to like Baby Yoda and the uh, eggs for that, that one woman and, and the husband and how sort of once he realized like there's this living thing, he wanted to take it with him and not eat it and essentially and how – the two of them were so happy together and had like all their eggs together, you know, obviously oh. the ones that he didn't stuff. So that was really nice. Yeah. I liked the frog, uh, couple stuff in this episode. Um, like when they're in their little house and they got the little tadpole in the bowl and they're patting mm-hmm. it and showing baby Yoda how to pet it. And then he gets all upset when he has to leave. Like, <clears throat> I did think that was a nice moment. Um, I yeah. don't know that it, for me personally, I don't know that it uh, negates the feelings I had last episode. <laughs> like, that is a rough... That's still rough, man. And and then as the week yeah. has gone on and people have had, like, more perspective on it and, and stuff that I didn't even think about. Because, you know, I'm just a dude. You know, like, yeah. that has been yeah, exactly. an interesting thing. So, uh, I, I I will still chalk it up to a rare misstep in this this show so far is the whole egg thing from last episode. Like, yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I wasn't fond of that either. I mean, like maybe they do it the initial time. Like I, I don't know. Accidentally. I don't know. It's just one of those things where I kind of just wish it didn't happen, but it's nice that they still gave the, like a best case scenario for her. Inc- even if that had to be part of the story. Right. You know? Right. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm I'm definitely better with it, but like I can yeah. see why other people, you know, depending on their life experiences and how they feel about that sort of thing, I can definitely see why they're still, you know, they would still not be cool with it. So yeah, it's a case by case basis type thing, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just I, you know, the initial shock of it still sort of hasn't worn off for me. Yeah, yeah, totally. I also love too their uh, the frog people's little airport moment right where oh. she sees him before he sees her and mm-hmm. she's like running at him that's that it was just so heartwarming and she's calling for him and stuff yeah it was so good man oh, it was so that's good the best. uh i'm legitimately worried about the razor crest because it seems like there's no coming back that thing is fucked up right now oh yeah man they've really put it through <clears throat> some uh some trauma in these last couple of episodes and in one hand, I'm glad that they made it seem a little more realistic. Like, you know, in episode two, uh, last season when the Jawas disassemble the mm-hmm. Razor Crest, and then it seems like over the course of a night, I know it's probably way longer than that, him and Queel totally put it back together and it seems good as new. Like, yeah. I'm glad he didn't go to pick his, his ship back up and it was just perfect again. Yeah, I, I think maybe something with that tells me one of two things is going to happen sometime in the future or the next episode is that the the condition of the ship is either going to prevent him from doing something or maybe he just gets some sort of massive upgrade coming up soon. And then, you know, here comes a new hot toy, essentially. Oh, yeah. Oh, another there'll be another uh, has lab <laughs> project next year for the Razor Crest 2.0 with the mm-hmm. extra engine or whatever. Yeah, I get- I think we will be seeing incremental or incremental upgrades to the Razorcrest and to Mando. Like I, yeah. I still wonder if he's ever going to paint his armor. Uh, he looks so cool, all chromed out and stuff. But uh, I would not put him past him to give him a paint job sometime because that's another toy. You know? Yeah, exactly. I'd love that. Also, too, speaking of his armor. What about that scene whenever he was just taking all of those stormtrooper bullets like to no avail? Oh, dude, when he's 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 like crawling to try and throw those bombs like, yeah, man, it, it, it really reinforces why people want that Beskar so much. Right. Yep. It's like T-1000 vibes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it, t- it totally makes sense that people would be after uh, yeah. this armor if it's that resilient. I mean. He's already been inside a crate dragon and survived seemingly unscathed. And mm-hmm. now he took, um, I don't know, a billion laser shots and is, yeah. it was okay. It also makes sense why he prioritizes the helmet being Beskar first before everything else, considering what bullets can't do to him, you know? Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's a really good yeah. point. Because <clears throat> he, he always did have the, the chrome Beskar helmet. Yeah, that's probably a good investment to start with, honestly. I really wonder how the whole idea of him being a child of the watch and mm-hmm. like the more traditional that we've seen Mandalorians like Bo-Katan and stuff. I wonder how that all plays out. I have yeah. a feeling if I had to guess, he'll eventually realize that he's more in line with their thinking than the whole, you know, religious zealot 
type of approach. And I found it very interesting that, you know, however old Din Djarin is and however long he's been a Mandalorian since he was a kid, right? He Mm -hmm. never realized that there was any other way that people were Mandalorian. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. So Um, I, I find that real fascinating. Yeah, I also wonder, too, if that's sort of going to be like him having that arc, like you said, about like getting more comfortable with taking it off. If that'll end up being there out to, hey, we're going to start showing like a little bit more Pedro and maybe he sort of turns into like a Batman-esque type where, you know, 60-40 or 70-30 with the mask and the helmet and everything. Oh. Because that would make sense. I want, I mean, look, I think when you cast Pedro Pascal in a role you want to see pedro pascal and yes. you can write a really cool story where pedro pascal doesn't take off his helmet but i think you want to get into a place where you see more of him eventually so yeah i think you're 100 percent right and i the the batman analogy is not one i considered but i think it's right on the money where yeah you know <clears throat> we will see him without his helmet and then when when the shit's going down it's time to suit up you know mm-hmm yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's oh, that'd 100% correct. And oh, that'd be incredible. Yeah. And, and I like the idea of him being more in line, line with like Bo Katan and her crew than the Death Watch, who traditionally haven't come off as being the greatest uh, group of folks, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not the best. Yeah. And you can't fault him because he's been raised in it since he was a kid. But once he's shown a different way and shown a different approach to this whole Mandalorian thing, then you would hope he would go the more reasonable route. Yeah, I agree. I also wonder too, what they'll do with the potential survivors of the empire's attack in episode seven and eight from last season on those other Mandalorians, like John Favreau's Mandalorian, for Mm -hmm. example, like I have a feeling he's still out there somewhere. Oh, me too. And I think the armorer is as well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can definitely see him being pulled in two directions, you know, like, Mm -hmm. On one hand, the armorer and and whoever survived on that other side is pulling him more towards the Death Watch type of thing. And then Bo-Katan and any other Mandalorians on that side of thing are pulling him in that direction. You could, I could definitely see that coming to a head. And the idea of that is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. All right. Well, um, you want to jump into some voicemails and emails and um, let... uh, let the conversation consider uh, continue on that way. I have a feeling people are going to uh, lead us down some interesting paths. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to hear what people say. Let's do it. Okay, cool. Cockhead! The only Jedi master who can crash box. Cockhead! Running around slaying He's a big Surian stud. He loves to split chicks with his pud. Kitty, cockhead, to stroke his cone and suck on his balls. Kitty, cockhead, what you gonna do when he comes on you now? He's a Jedi Council stooge, but he'll be plumping spooge tomorrow. Cockhead. Cockade, Hosberger, Cockade, Will Witt, Cockade, Goose Paint, Cockade, G Money, Cockade, King Tom, Cockade, Joe, Cockade, Key and D, Cockade. 
All right, first up, we got the king of all Toms, Tom Chansky. <laughs> Hell of an episode of The Mandalorian. I, I loved it. But the reason I'm um, calling in my question this week is about something else Star Wars related that was released this week. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view. I liked the book. It was entertaining. There were some stories that weren't great, but then again, there's some. there were some stories that were really, really good. The thing about it, there were a few of the bounty hunter stories that had moments in them that reminded me of the old robot chicken Star Wars. Um, particularly a few of Boba's inner thoughts Reminded me of one of the Boba Fett sketches. And then some things that Dangar said reminded me of the Dangar. Oh, the bounties and the hunter, the hunts and the bounty, or whatever his, you know, that one skit. I'm assuming you guys have seen Robot Chicken Star Wars. Here's my question, though, and this is a bit of an abstract one. Before Lucasfilm was bought by Disney, you know, Robot Chicken was one of the, Robot Chicken Star Wars, I should say. They were doing things like Robot Chicken Star Wars, Angry Birds Star Wars, and... It was all these things that were officially allowed by Lucasfilm. And I think Robot Chicken was one of the biggest of them. And I seem to remember, like, it felt like Robot Chicken Star Wars references were everywhere. And then Disney buys Lucasfilm. And, you know, in the excitement of the new movies, people start podcasts and we start a community on Twitter. But no one really talks about Robot Chicken Star Wars anymore. Or it, it, I'm just surprised it's not referenced as much as it used to be. What are your guys' feelings on those episodes? Um, I think, you know, I don't like to treat Star Wars as too precious, so I think some of them are utterly hilarious, but then again, some are stupid. You know, it's not, like, the key thing in Star Wars, but like I said, I'm just surprised that... And I'm not saying by any means it needs to be brought back or anything. I'm just saying, I don't know, I, I figured that it would stick around longer. So what are your guys' feelings on that? Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for the great podcast. I'm about to make some chowder tonight. <laughs> and I hope you guys have a great weekend. <laughs> Yo, you will not catch me eating that squid chowder from this episode. No, man. A chowder with no. a living squid in it? Not for your boy. Yeah. Even if that thing was dead, I don't think I would touch that. Mm -mm, mm -mm, no, sir. No way. Um, so... uh. I like Robot Chicken Star Wars. As far as, like, Star Wars parody goes, I would say it's my favorite. You know, when you compare it to things like, you know, I don't know, Spaceballs or the Family Guy Star Wars, um, even though I find elements of those funny, Robot Chicken, to me, was a little more my style, I guess. <clears throat> and there are some classic bits in it, like the Boba stuff, obviously, I'm a big fan of. There's the skit where the guy dressed as a Tauntaun gets on the elevator with George Lucas yeah. <laughs> that I really, really like. Yeah. Um, and then I think I think it's Billy D when he goes to the grocery store and people are giving him shit about betraying Han and he's trying to defend himself and like Billy D actually does his own voice. That's a really good one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I um I wish we would see a little more of that kind of stuff. I do feel like that might've been something that Lucasfilm under George Lucas's guidance would be more willing to do than Lucasfilm under Disney's guidance because, yeah. you know, especially family guy and robot chicken, like the humor in those star Wars parodies is uh, quite a bit more adult. 
right? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I just don't. I don't know that I see them going that route. I haven't watched Robot Chicken in forever, so for all I know, they still do the occasional Star Wars bit. I just haven't yeah. seen them if they do. <clears throat> but um, I do wish they would would sort of do some more of that. Um, I just uh, I'm not quite sure that mm-hmm. that's you know because you know Disney was real quick and I don't think we can adequately compare this to the other stuff we're talking about but star wars detours got put on in a vault maybe never to be seen again yeah i mean if you think about it disney kind of like nuked a lot of their own sort of star wars existing properties let alone ones that were like third party you know like with the expanded expanded series and stopping the clone wars and everything and i think that they just wanted that hard reset so like i do think maybe they would do it if they saw it as a additional promotional tool that could benefit Disney plus in the end, maybe like think about like the robot chicken Mandalorian stuff. Like that could mm-hmm. be gold right now, you mm-hmm. know, it'd, it would be, it'd be a shame to not see that. Yeah, that's a good point. And I also wonder if it's just a matter of time too. like, you know, Disney clearly, like you said, wanted sort of a, a reboot, a refresh mm-hmm. of star Wars so they could sort of start on their own foot and guide things going forward. So maybe once, you know, it's been a little while and there's been some time, we could start seeing stuff like that again. And I'd be yeah. down with that. I have Yeah, it'll probably just be very controlled though. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, it's sort of uh I guess a byproduct of Disney yeah. having Star Wars now. Um I guess the real test will be if we ever do see detours because there has seemingly not been any indication that they're going to do anything with that. Um, yeah. And it's crazy. It's crazy that there's several, like a lot of episodes of that supposedly completed that are just sitting around somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, from the trailers and stuff I saw, not my thing. I, I would be <laughs> happy to be wrong, you know. But yeah. I didn't see anything in those initial detours trailers. I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch this. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Let's hear a voicemail from Intercontinental Tom. Let's see. Uh-oh. if Now, if he calls in <laughs> wondering about Robot Chicken Star Wars, I don't know what to do, man. So let's hear what he yeah. has to say. Hey, Blue Harvesters. This is Tom in Sweden. Well, that was uh, pretty um, embarrassing last week. <laughs> I mean, as uh, as King Tom's voicemail was rolling out of the speakers, I uh, I think I started to have a bit of a bit of a cold sweat there, to be honest. <laughs> but if you ever needed um, ever needed uh, evidence of King Tom's psychic link to all the rest of the 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 Tom subjects in his Tom kingdom. Uh, I think this 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 will do the job. Um, I just want to talk about chapter ten of the Mandalorian. I had an awesome time with that episode again. Um, uh, yeah, you guys uh, have covered everything, but um, something I want to um, kind of uh, talk about a little bit is uh, just how visually good these first two episodes of uh, season two have looked. Um, 
Uh, you know, a lot of people said about season one that, you know, it looks so good and, it, it just, you know, it looks it's cinema quality. And I agreed to some extent, but I still thought there was quite a lot of evidence of uh, that, that this was Star Wars on a TV budget. But I think that um, these two episodes have been visually incredible. And one, uh, one thing that to me is a big sign of things kind of taking a big step up is um, that opening dogfight in Chapter 5 uh, between the Mandalorian and that bounty hunter, I always thought, I didn't think it, it looked that great, to be honest. Um, um, now, and then in, in contrast, the, uh, the X-Wings and the, the Razorcrest, that whole chase sequence in this, in Chapter 10 was incredible super dynamic and exciting and um yeah it just makes me think like this is um this really bodes well for the future of the series at least you know visually speaking and you would uh, assume that all the other upcoming series will uh, benefit from uh, their experience um getting the most out of the the budget uh so yeah big thumbs up uh, this was directed by Peyton Reed. The first episode of the season was directed by John Favreau. Both were killer episodes. So I'm just wondering, um, you know, we've got Robert Rodriguez coming up later in the season as well. Uh, what other big screen directors would you guys like to see take on uh, an episode or two of The Mandalorian? Because... Um, uh, I, don't, I think there are plenty of Star Wars fans out there who wouldn't take that much convincing. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, this is Intercontinental Tom signing off. <laughs> um, he nailed it. The visual look of this season <clears throat> is incredible. Like, he was talking about the X-Wing fight at the beginning of last episode. The beginning of this episode with him sort of crash landing on the planet. Incredible looking once again. Oh, it was so good. So, yeah, it's um, I, I just kind of constantly get blown away by what they're able to pull off in this show. And if I had to guess, they got a little bit of a budget bump. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's a matter of having more of a budget this season or just a better handle on producing Star Wars for TV at the current yeah. budget. But whatever it is has paid off. Yeah, um, I mean, their CGI monsters are incredible. Like, the the crate Dragon, and then, I mean, even the Mudhorn, obviously, in last season. Like, mm -hmm. they still are doing a great job on that. And you can't really see that they're cutting corners, at least on the, the creature designs. No. On or, a lot of Or on, like, you know, the dogfighting stuff we were talking about. Yeah. He, he's right. The, the dogfight at the beginning of Chapter 5 last season is probably one of the weaker visual moments of the series. Yeah. And you can't say that this year, I don't think. Yeah. The dialogue on that scene was kind of rough as well, too, going yeah. back to it. Yeah. My, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's my line. Um, what's yeah. uh, what's some directors? Do you have any directors you'd like to see? There is one that I had in mind whenever he asked this, and he's probably not like super popular. It's hard to tell because I feel like he's very niche in, in a lot of ways, at least lately. But I really like Barry Sonnenfeld. Do you Do you know him? Uh, give me some of his work, and I might be more familiar with the movies instead of the the name. Yeah, so 
he did the Adam's Family movies with Raul oh. Julia. Okay, okay. So he did those. Uh, he did he did Wild Wild West with Will Smith. Not exactly the best. Um, and then he did the Men in Black movies as well. And then most recently he did uh, the series of Unfortunate Events Netflix series. And he kind of falls into that Tim Burton category, but not quite Tim Burton for me, where I would really like to see some sort of like Monster of the Week episode directed by him. That, you know, would, be that would be really cool. Yeah. I'd be a fan of that. I so. would like what to. About you? I would like to see him apply sort of that, you know, <clears throat> sort of pop gothic feel to Star Wars. Yeah. That could be really cool. Um, for me, I mean, I'm kind of basic. So, like, the first one that came to mind is, like, Ryan Johnson. I'd love to see him yeah. do. Uh, oh, totally. You know, the resulting meltdown might not be the most fun to go through, but I think he could do something pretty cool with an episode. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're shooting for the stars, Uncle George. Do you know how oh, huge yeah. that would be? Um, I'm trying to think. You know, both of those would be big up on my list. Um, you know, I, I am interested to see if James Mangold ends up having something to do with Star Wars after those rumors this summer. Yes, totally. Um, I'd like to see what he would do with that, especially after Logan. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's also not like this isn't necessarily directing, but it would be really neat to see somebody like Damon Lindelof write one, like a one-off episode, too. Oh, God, I would love that. <laughs> especially uh, after what he did with Watchmen which was I mean that was absurd yeah man I would think that would be real cool I would be real mm-hmm. down with that um, you know I, I'm excited to see Carl Weathers episode this season because uh, yeah. you know he's directing an episode I'm real excited to see what he's got going on um, oh okay I want to see Ben Affleck direct an episode mm. Okay. Because I love yeah. The Town. The Town, that, that like uh, bank robbery thriller he directed. I think he wrote it as well, maybe. Mm-hmm. I love that fucking movie. That's one of my favorite movies. Um, shooting yeah, for that's the, an incredible film. Shooting for the Stars. Give me a John Carpenter episode. Oh. Big Trouble in yeah. Little China. It up, my dudes. Like, I would love that. <clears throat> All right. Let's see. We got some other voicemails. I'm trying to get us... Guys, I'm trying to... You guys are awesome, okay? You've really sent in the stuff this week, so I'm trying to get as much as possible and not leave anybody behind. So let me see. We got Jim up next. Let's hear what he has to say. Hawes, Will, and Mr. Evan DeCellis, good evening. I uh, love this new chapter. I love all these three. These three episodes we've got so far are top-notch um and after watching this one i could go on and on about it but uh, i guess i'll just say that the manual landing with the and then the ship falling into the water uh, is great and i love the doc uh calamari mon calamari right there uh he was pretty hilarious uh, baby yoda getting kicked into that uh monster pit and mando going after him and coming back up and the pirates just saying drown him and oof, with that voice and that that is more terrifying to me than any size of spider uh mm. and that was oof, really got some feels out of that for sure but the biggest takeaway of course is that he's the the zealot that it just makes so much sense and it 
it's like we're all really not swift for uh, not having picked up on that or guessing it or people pushing that theory or anything like that. But I, I love the idea. It is so kung fu. It is, um, I can't wait to see where they go from here. It's like going back in time without going anywhere. You know you're going to hear some lore. The Look at the blacksmith so differently now. Oh, my gosh. But my question is, like, if, if anybody doesn't like anything, Disney's almost like uh, the way that they're doing it. They're, like, untouchable. It's like with this whole egg uh, situation, it's, you know, hey, Disney, we got this problem. When they're like, oh, please, we're, bitch, we're working on season four. You know, you're, wait till you get to where we're at. You're not going to care about this anymore. But uh, what do you think about that? Uh, the, what do you think are some of the advantages of being so far ahead and not being influenced by everybody's responses and things like that? All right. You gentlemen have a great evening. Ignite the green. Hmm. Well, I think there are some advantages and maybe disadvantages to that sort of thing. Um, I mean, I think one of the biggest disadvantages is you can have, you know, someone pop off and be sort of fucking hateful on Twitter like Gina Carano. Yeah. And then, right. you know, depending, I mean, granted, you know, they haven't started producing season three or four yet. It's not in front of cameras yet. There's still time. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, I would say that's a disadvantage to, to working that far ahead. But I would think for the most part, it's nothing but advantages. Like, yeah. the more thought out and planned ahead that these stories are, I think the end product just ends up benefiting more. Like, it's it's just beneficial, right? <clears throat> and, um, like, I hope... Like when they're sitting around making decisions about Star Wars and they see something like the Mandalorian being so well received, I hope one of their takeaways is like, oh, well, you know, John Favreau and his crew, they really charted this thing out ahead of time. They had mm-hmm. a solid plan ahead of them and ideas of where they wanted to go. That's what we should emulate. That's the approach we should take, right? So that's what I would hope like sort of their internal takeaway is from this. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, there's so many fucking cool badass elements in the Mandalorian, but it doesn't matter how many cool elements you have. If the backbone, if the bones of the story aren't cool, you know, and if they're like so much stuff that we see, wouldn't be nearly as cool if it wasn't set up previously. Kind of like what we were talking about earlier, right? Seemingly little things that pop back up episodes later. So that sort of foresight is, I think, yeah. you know, really handy. Uh, what do you think? I think with a situation like this, you end up getting more of the artist's vision, if that makes sense, right? Like, right. this isn't like an attack on the sequel trilogy, because I do like the sequel trilogy, but I do think the sequel tr- trilogy suffered from the ability and the freedom to pivot based on a vocal minority, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I-, I think that you're just basically going to get, hey, this is John Favreau's show with Dave Filoni and a few of their, you know, very, very talented people that they brought in to do this. And it's it, it's going to be what it is for better or for worse. And that's just, you know, that's how it is. It's kind of reminds me of Breaking Bad in a way where, you know, it sort of just told its own story. It 
ended whenever it wanted to end. And that's when the story was done. And I do hope that they stick with that here, because if you kind of look at, you know, the episodes of the, you know, the first three episodes of the season, they're not overly baby Yoda heavy, right? Like Mm -mm. he's kind of a background character in a way. Yeah. I would say, especially in the first episode, like there was not a ton of baby Yoda. He had a couple cute moments. And then last episode was pretty heavy baby Yoda to a fault. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, uh, and you got to think that eventually John Favreau is going to want to return to movies, you know? So yeah. I got to think he's got a, an idea in mind of how long this goes. And that's, I think, another sort of advantage to thinking ahead. Like you were saying, like a well thought out, planned ending to a series is always preferable, more preferable than to me than like, uh, oh shit this is really popular we should stretch this out as long as possible the walking dead <laughs> oh my god dude i i remember when i gave up on the walking dead being like uh well this is probably a good time to dip out it's probably almost done anyway and then it's yeah. gone on for like 10 more years or whatever mm-hmm. so it's basically the title of the show is about the show this the show is walking dead you know mm-hmm yeah, and, and even when they're like, hey, it's going to end with this season, they were at the same time, they were like, but we got this spinoff and this spinoff and <laughs> yeah. this spinoff. So, yep. <laughs> you know, I, I, um, you know, I, I think there, I think there are advantages for them working this far ahead. And even though they're working that far ahead, it doesn't mean that they can't course correct when they mm-hmm. need to or react when they need to in the long term maybe not so much yeah. the short term like we won't see them reacting to anything from this season you know until possibly next year because season three mm-hmm. hasn't started yet um and then you know maybe even season four so um yeah uh, it, it just in a way it makes me a little bummed out that it hasn't been the approach for star wars thus far you know yeah like that they they didn't think it out a a little bit more going into it because i think it just leads to a stronger product like you know when you look at and and it's not the fairest comparison um because they were working from incredibly strong source material but the mcu right clearly had a plan going forward and there were bumps along the way not every movie was great they had at least an end destination in mind and that's to be commended especially as well as they pulled it off yeah Um, the real question which we still haven't had answered because of this year is like how does the mcu do how does it fare continuing on past that first big you know long-running story yeah i also think too the benefit of the mandalorian being so far ahead is that even if they do any pivots it's hard to pin it on them and say, oh, this is what made you pivot because, you know, they're so far in the distance, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think with the, with the sequel trilogy, you could probably pick out a few moments and say, I see why they changed this in The Rise of Skywalker. But for this, they're, you know, you can't really trace their steps. Like when you see some of the cast t- tweeting about how before the first season even aired, they were, you know, filming their scenes for season two. So it, it's nice in that it sort of gives them an out to say, Hey, we're just doing this story and we're not looking at what people say online, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
So, <clears throat> all right. Next up, we got a voicemail from Joel. Hey guys, it's Joel again. Um, I just I'm I apologize for always being a week late. I am in Europe, so it's hard to make the timing work. Uh, but so I'm I'm talking about episode three now, and I just got done watching that, and I'm a giddy ball of excitement right now. That was such a great episode and when Bogotan showed up I lost it and then when she name dropped Ahsoka I lost it again to confirm that that's actually where we're going because obviously I've heard all the rumors before but I take all those rumors in advance with a whole beach of salt usually I don't really pay much attention uh, to these things, so I I I didn't go. I go, I went into this, this season not thinking that Ahsoka, Bogotan, Boba, or even Cobb were anything like confirmed. I I'm just you know giddily surprised every time one of these people shows up. But I wanted to ask something that's been bothering me uh, for a long time, and now I think it's it's getting more. Uh, salient again where Bogotan I don't know if you remember that episode of Clone Wars where Ahsoka sort of got kidnapped I think by Lux Bonteri and then they run into Death Watch and Death Watch just tortures an entire village because they perceived some minor insult Bogotan was at the forefront of all of that she, for the longest time she was nothing but a bad guy one-dimensional bad guy, just the second in command of Death Watch after Vizsla. And then when Death Watch splits on the mall, suddenly that act alone was supposed to make her a good guy. It, it seemed like that's how it was kind of portrayed in the animated series, that now we're not supposed to doubt her allegiance anymore or ask any questions, because after that, in the Siege of Mandalore, then in Rebels, and now in The Mandalorian, she seems like nothing but a good guy. And it's always been a little quick for me, and I've never really heard anybody discuss this, so I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on whether you thought that this transition or redemption, perhaps, was clear enough, uh, or, like... Did it make sense to you? What it did? Was this ever something that you questioned, or did this just was just, was just all smooth sailing for you? Did it did it make perfect sense for you? I I because everybody else like I've never really heard anybody talk about this, so I I'm thinking like is this did I miss something? It's it's kind of a weird situation, so I'd be interested to hear you talk about that. And once again, thanks very much for listening, and take care. <coughs> Thanks for calling in again, Joel. I appreciate it. What do you think, Evan? Um, I think he brings up a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Star Wars <clears throat> tends to do that mm -hmm. a lot, I guess, in a lot of the ways, which is why I think it's so forgiving for me. I mean, something as huge as like Anakin's turn and sort of how quick that happens. I think that stuff is littered all throughout Star Wars. And I think to me, it's conditioned me to at least see those things and be like, okay, I, I can accept that because I've accepted bigger things along the way if that makes sense yeah I, I, you brought up the exact example i was gonna use is like mm -hmm. if you don't watch the clone wars if you just watch the prequels and this was always something that 
Will struggled with back in the day when he and I first started hanging out because we started hanging out right after Revenge of the Sith came out. And he was like, it just seems like he he's, turns to the dark side so quick. And, you know, I know there's the thing with the Tusken Raiders in episode two and so on and so forth. But it seems like for such a major turn, you know, he's a hero of the Republic to then going to slaughter Jedi younglings. It seems really quick. And you kind of nailed it. Star Wars moves at an emotional quick pace at some times, right? Like yeah, Princess Leia's planet gets blown up in front of her and moments later she's comforting luke over the death of obi-wan kenobi you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yep so like i I do think that's just kind of the flow of star wars and you know something i didn't consider because i i really hadn't thought about you know basically because the most recent we'd seen bo katan before this was her association with death death watch previously and I didn't consider the cool storytelling opportunity that opens up between her and Den down the road. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see her telling him, like, look, I was part of Death Watch. I did horrible shit as part of Death Watch. And I'm trying to tell you, this is not the way, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, if the, if they find some way to tie that in... um in their relationship between the two of them, I could, I would not only be really impressed, but I think like, I I think maybe that would even smooth it over a little for, for Joel, you know, like I think there are opportunities left to address it. Yeah. In some cool ways. I think Joel brings up a good point too, that sort of made me think about what if Ahsoka isn't welcoming to Din because of his death watch background, right? Like, right. It's, we, we assume it's smooth sailing, but what if it isn't because of where he comes from? And we wouldn't have thought twice about it had we not gotten the context like this week's episode. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's a good point. <clears throat> All right. Uh, next up, we've got an email. This is from Sam, who I unfortunately missed his email last week. So my bad, buddy. So let me, uh, we'll, we'll get to you now. It says, hello, Halls, Will, and insert name of esteemed guest here, Evan. First, thank you so much for such an amazing show that you put together each week. I was looking for a new Star Wars show to add to my queue not long ago, and after hearing Halls on Steel's show, I checked the show out and have loved it. I'm currently working my way through a series of backloaded episodes, and it's great hearing even old shows. <clears throat> Did you guys happen to catch Ma- Malakili in Episode 9 of Mando? I'm pretty sure there is a background character... Uh, dressed up to be him, and the camera lings on him for quite a while. I have a high-quality 4K picture taken from my iPhone 6 at a distance from my TV of the character in question. I haven't seen anyone else talk about this character, and I wanted to see what you thought. Finally, I am currently reading the Darth Plagueis novel, and I came across an interesting part about cloning Force-sensitive beings. In one part, Plagueis thinks about the past when they attempted to clone midichlorians. In the experiment, the user was able to somewhat harness the force, but wasn't able to use it uh, over the long term. Also, from what I remember, he mentioned real damage to the individual. This then segues into my theory about Moff Gideon attempting to capture baby Yoda, Yoju, if you will. From what I've observed of Gideon, he dresses and behaves like Vader or the Emperor. 
He even has a lightsaber. Saber. <clears throat> Damn. He has the lightsaber and these forces. Do you think he is trying to get the force powers to become stronger than his enemies? Anyway, thank you for reading my crazy theories and keep up the great work. Ooh. I didn't nice. really I didn't really consider that maybe that's why Darth or, or Darth Moff Gideon wants um baby Yoda is to try and get force powers from himself for himself. Mm -hmm. That's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, I think the secret behind Gideon lies behind that line when he said, he means more to me than you'll ever know. I'm just super curious what that is. As devoted as he is to the Empire, I think it has something to do with Palpatine. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the dude, like, he literally tells three guys to kill themselves, and his last line is, like, long live <laughs> the Empire, right? That, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that's just been my theory going forward. But, you know, and there was that whole quote last year before the show started where John Favreau said that, you know, you'll see sort of the beginnings of the First Order in this series. And I don't know, man. I just kind of wonder if that's how it ties in. Yeah. Um, now, the idea of him trying to make some sort of Captain America super serum to... um to give himself force powers that's interesting but but would that really line up with the line you bring up right he means more yeah. to me than you could possibly understand or whatever like uh -huh. i'm not sure yeah that's tough that's why i think it's i think i mentioned this like a year ago whenever i was on but i i think it's going to be a mr freeze situation or at least i'd like it to be where mm -hmm. It's it's sort of this redeeming quality in a sense, but he's going about it the wrong way where it's very, very personal. But he's still doing so much evil along the way that he's still classified as a villain, even though it might be for what he sees to be true intentions. You know? Yeah, and but, I like that idea, right? I like a little shade of gray in my villains. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of fun to be had in just a straight-up bad guy. But yeah. If you can throw that little wrinkle in there to make you like hesitate for a second, and you're once again, I probably said it last year. I'll say it again. Your Mister Freeze analogy is real good. So <laughs> I hope that's it. Um, I like that idea too. All right, let's see. Next up, we have a email from Joshua. Hey there, Halls Will and special guest. I'm writing on Monday, so I haven't seen Mando Chapter Eleven yet, but I have a few questions and comments in regarding chapter 9 and 10. Uh, Jim's question about writing Cara Dune off the show got me thinking about how they could do that. Maybe in the middle of a scene, Cara could say, my home planet needs me now. Then rise up into the air until she's off screen. Then a card <laughs> would appear saying, note, Cara Dune died on the way back to her home planet. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is, that a, is that a Poochie Sim Simpsons reference? <laughs> Maybe it is. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, I've also been thinking about Cobb's story about he, how he got Boba's armor and how he became the Marshal. Maybe what we saw on screen was Cobb's version of the story, not necessarily what happened canonically. I was reminded of the differences between the story of what happened on the night all the bad stuff went down between Luke and Kylo. We saw two versions of the same event on screen, but it looked different depending on who told the story. I like that approach. Yeah, I think that is the perfect way to marry the two versions the version from mm -hmm. the aftermath books and the version we saw on tv yeah that's from now on that's my explanation perfect <laughs> <clears throat> uh 
Um, anyway, I hope Will's move went well and you guys are staying happy and healthy. I lost myself in the email for a second there. Keep up the great work and may the force be with you. Um, all right. Next up, we got Dylan. Uh, hey, guys. Hope all is well. So I guess I was listening to the latest podcast episode and you and Emily brought up good issues I had with the child eating eggs. It was surely a strange play to me and seemed to work against the picture they painted of the child. So I had a crazy thought. What if it pays off? By the time they get to their destination, something has happened to the eggs. All hope feels lost. And suddenly this child starts burping up the eggs he ate. Probably won't happen and could have just been an odd misfire at humor. But figured I'd do some speculating and bring it to the table. Best wishes. And then he has a follow-up email that says, Okay, I finished the last episode. Ha ha. <laughs> I was late to the idea of the child storing the eggs. One thing I wanted to add, though. Certainly agree this episode moves the story forward. Not to only do you get info, info to possibly lead you to the Mandalorians, but I feel the frog lady and her husband also may be more helpful or important. She's awfully handled with technology when she hacks that robot. Also, another thing I think pays off down the road is that run-in with the New Republic. That ended on a good note, and I feel people like Ahsoka would enter the story through Republic ties. Thanks again, Dylan. Yeah, I mean, as far as quote-unquote uh, feeling like this, the, these episodes don't move the story forward, I think it remains to be seen. Because we've seen just about every episode referenced again at some point, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. so that's going to be my approach. If I feel like a episode doesn't move the, the story forward, then I'm just going to wait for a few episodes and see if that remains the case. You know? Yeah, I've been listening to this sentiment the past couple of weeks and then on Twitter as well, too. But I think that I think this is only a problem the first time you watch the show. Like mm -hmm. whenever I watch The Clone Wars for the first time, I waited specifically until the series run was done and I just burned through it and nothing was filler because I could just hit next. And I think when you're waiting, you kind of critique harder. So I think now it's an issue. But I think, I mean, maybe a year from now, you're just going to love just burning through each one of these, in my opinion, at least. Right. Right. <clears throat> All right. And we got one more email. I'm hoping I'm not missing any. I'm hoping I'm not going to have a Sam situation where I go back and look <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, this one's from our buddy Rick Villanueva. I'm not used to getting this many emails. It's been a while since we've gotten this many. Mando season will do it to you. Anyway, mm -hmm. this is from Rick. He says, hey, gang, it's your boy Rick with another quick question. But first, oh, shit. Episode or chapter 11 was a ripper. Hal Hickle and the VXF team are absolutely killing it this season. The free fall razor crest scene was beautiful and Ludwig's <clears throat> music is expanding and improving. The man's a genius. But my question, assuming baby Yoda is formulating word sounds, do you think that zero, the droid could be used to translate for him? To me, that seems like a viable way to communicate. Anyway, I'm going to go change my undies now. Rick at Cad Bane's Bounty, <laughs> part of the Jammed Transmissions podcast. Um, so I actually kind of meant to bring this up over the last couple of episodes. It does seem like Baby Yoda is starting to make some new sounds to me. Mm -hmm. Like there's this sort of weird 
almost chirpy type sound he's yeah. been making this season. I don't know how else to to describe it. Um, <clears throat> the question to me is like, would Baby Yoda even need a translator? Because Yoda can speak basic. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Because if you, I mean, you picture like a child in the real world is that they speak what they're surrounded by, and he's been surrounded by you know basic speakers, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you got to think eventually, Baby Yoda does say something. I don't think we'll oh. ever get to the point where Baby Yoda's like a total chatterbox. Like the baby dinosaur from the dinosaurs or anything like that. <laughs> but we're going to hear baby Yoda's first word eventually. Maybe it'll be like Mando or I don't know. It'll be something. Um, this is the way. <laughs> oh, that would be cool. Little baby oh, Yoda terrible. say this is the way. Oh, I could oh, get in. Man. I could get behind that. <clears throat> so while I don't know that they would use that droid zero to translate baby Yoda, as we've come circled back to several times this episode, that droid is going to play another uh, a part again. I would almost guarantee it. Like it's disassembled form and being able to like the way she modified it to be able to translate her speech. Mm-hmm. I think we might see that put to use again sometime. Unless it got sucked out of the, the hull of the <laughs> razor crust. When it took off, yeah. and it was all messed up. Got burned up. I sure hope he put Boba's armor somewhere safe. Oh God, I forgot about that. Yeah, that'd be that's that's really gonna chat my ass if Tamora <laughs> Morrison shows up and if you know next season or later this season or whatever, and he's like, "I want my armor back," and Jen's <laughs> like, "Well, first off, no, and secondly, I don't got it anymore." <laughs> uh huh. If you want it, you got to go see some ice spiders about it. Oh God. That'd be, I'd have to get some new armor after that one. Yeah, I'd just be like, well, can, can you point me in the direction of who made yours? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that'll do it for us this week, buddy. Thanks you so so much for uh, joining me this week. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I hope everything's going great with Will. Uh, you know, you're missed, and I can't wait to have you back on here. Yeah, man. You know, <clears throat> I know what it's like having to deal with an internet service provider, and it is one of the most frustrating things that you can go through in this world. So I empathize with him. It sucks that he hasn't been able to make it, but you know, it's for an understandable reason. I've been there. Oh, totally. Um, okay. So what I want you to do now, buddy, tell yes. everybody where they can find you on social media Tell them about Realms, your big project you have going on. Yes. That yes. I, I know specifically me and Steve, as fancy board game lovers, are really looking forward <laughs> to. Fill people in, you know, tell them where you can find you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. So my uh, my social media is at edechellis25 uh, on Twitter and as well on Instagram. Uh, Decellis Art, spelled the same way, is my art website. Uh, but yeah, my, my board game realms, I've been working on this for quite some time. I think I, I promoted it the last time it was, um, and I was, it was still not ready. Um, it's getting a little bit bigger as time goes on. Uh, I'm not totally sure whenever it'll be ready to go, go, but I think, um, the extra work is, is for the better of the project. And, uh, you know, I'll be sharing some artwork on, on those, those pages that you let me share soon here. So yeah, yeah, that's about it. I'm excited to, to share more and, uh, I can't wait to get your feedback when you finally get your hands on it. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't well, wait. Partially because 
when that time comes, you know, knock on wood, uh, we'll be able to hang out and play board games with other people by then. Yes. And secondly, because uh, I know it's going to be great and I can't wait to check it out. Thanks, man. I appreciate um, that. You know, you've posted a lot of artwork from it on your social media and it's all fucking great and creative <laughs> and varied. And I just, I really dig what you got going on with that, buddy. And uh, I will be watching your career with great interest. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I promise I won't kill uh, Soros Bandine in the process. Yeah, don't kill him. Maybe leave Kia D. Bundy. <laughs> you know, he's, a, he's an all right guy, despite what King Tom says. You know, it's one of the few <laughs> oh, no. things me and King Tom disagree on here. You know, got to take up for the yeah, mascot right. of my my little C-tier Star Wars podcast. Um, oh yeah, you should have seen, you should have seen what I did with him in my my comics when I was twelve years old. I Kia D was one of my main characters. I know it's so awesome. Oh, so bad. Um, uh, and uh, uh, a certain uh, mutual buddy of ours was sort of uh, on. You guys can hear a little more about it on a Patreon bonus show, but he's he's teasing a little something that Evan had to to do with that's coming up. So you guys should. Uh, Pay attention to a certain Australian podcaster's social feeds for something really cool that's coming up that uh, I got a little peek at that is also incredible. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that, that's all Steele's idea, so I got to give credit his way. Same way with you. <clears throat> so, um, real quick, before I let you guys go, like us on Facebook, Blue Harvest Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. We'll be doing some Twitch streaming this weekend for sure. That's uh, Blue Harvest Pod on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. If you enjoy our show and you want to support us for as little as $3 a month and get access to our exclusive Patreon-only podcast, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash blueharvestpodcast. Check out Stoned Cobra if you like our theme song. They're on iTunes, Spotify, and at stonedcobra.bandcamp.com. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you haven't already. And until next week, when we will all be talking about how we didn't see Ahsoka yet, but damn, we only have one week to go. This has been Blue Harvest, <laughs> and I'm Hals Burkhart. I'm Evan DeCellis. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with us.